Hello, and welcome to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're here today. Let's join Pastor Wes Offenbaugh as he gives an encouraging message titled, The True Story of the Rescued Rat. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with you today. I love each one of you. God bless you. Uh, Let's say a wonderful prayer together. Father, thanks for the uh, great, amazing love that you have for us in Christ. We pray that you would reveal that love to us. Give us power to grasp it, that we might be filled to all the fullness of God. And uh, so, Lord, be with each one that listens and bless your word to our understanding that we might bear fruit for the glory of your name. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This message is called The True Story of the Rescued Rat. Now, this is a true story. Many years ago, my wife and I were coming out of a motel, and uh, I was putting suitcases in the car, when Bonnie called to me and said, Wes, there's a rat in the motel swimming pool. Come and see. Well, I walked over to the pool and saw that a large rat was at the far end, and he was just kind of bobbing up and down like he was about ready to sink. He looked totally exhausted. I suppose that he went for a swim thinking that it would be fun, but what he didn't realize is that he would not be able to get back out. And uh, so my first thought was that he'd been there most of the night. And uh, when he saw me, to my surprise, and he was clear across the, the pool from me, but he rat paddled right straight towards me immediately and got right up in front of me. And I said, Uh, to Bonnie, where's a stick so I can kill him? And she said, no, don't kill him, save him. Well, I was conflicted there, save a rat? Um, Then I thought to myself, you know, I've never had a rat ask for my help before. So right then I decided to save that one particular rat. And I took a patio chair and dipped it down into the water brought it up underneath him, and then I lifted up the chair and set it there on the patio. Now, he was so exhausted, he couldn't move. He just sat there uh, rocking back and forth a little bit with his eyes closed. And so, uh, you know, Bonnie and I got in the car and drove away. I I was the savior of the rat, but I had no desire for further fellowship. So I don't know what happened to him. Now, over these many years, I've preached about the similarities and the differences between my saving the rat and the way Jesus saves sinners. So finally, one Sunday afternoon when I was in this coronavirus lockdown and unable to preach, I wrote a tract telling the story and showing what an amazing salvation we have in Christ. Now, my artist has completed nine pencil drawings and... uh, I want to find some people who would like to pay $60 and and, uh, sponsor one of those drawings. It costs $60 a piece to ink. And then we'll have this printed in a tract that should be uh, probably the most delightful tract ever to hand out. So what I've done in this message then is to enlarge it, put in a little more scriptures and just a couple more points, and uh, it will help you see how great your salvation is in Christ. Now, my first point is that we've all fallen into the pool of sin, and like the rat, we can't get out. So, you know, I think the rat probably enjoyed that swim for just a little while. The Bible says about Moses choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, Hebrews eleven twenty five. Well, sin can be pleasurable, but only for a season. You see, sin doesn't let its captives go. 
Jeremiah said, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Now, Solomon wrote, And no one is discharged in a time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. And then Isaiah wrote, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. We all like sheep. Uh, Apostle Paul quoted David from Psalm 14. There is no one righteous, not even one. There was no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've all become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then the Apostle Paul sums up our human condition this way. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I used to... uh, you know, when I would visit people in their homes and present Christ to them, often share the story of people trying to jump across the Grand Canyon, and one person would jump three feet, fall to the bottom, thousands of feet. One would jump 12 feet. One would set an Olympic record and jump 36 feet, but they'd all end up at the bottom. And uh, and that's the way it is with the human condition. Some people jump farther than others when it comes to being good, They might even set records, but somebody will be the nicest person in hell. So we've all sinned. We're all in the pool of sin. And uh, but can we save ourselves? Now God spoke to Job. uh, You know, in the whirlwind, pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all together in the dust. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Job 40, 11 through 14. Well, secondly, dying in our sins is far worse than drowning in a swimming pool. Now, Jesus said, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, to drown, well, that's just the death of the body. But the Bible says as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, Hebrews 9.27. So this means that a person's body dies, but the spirit and soul are still alive and have to face the judgment of God. Now Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, to die in sin would mean that the spirit and soul go away into eternal punishment. And Jesus said that on the day of judgment, he would say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, if the rat had been on the ground, I'm sure he would have scurried away from me, right? If I'd have seen him, you know, out behind some shed, he would have run. But he feared drowning in the pool more than he feared me. Now, in the same way, you might be afraid of God. You might think, well, if I went to church, the the roof would fall in. But don't flee from God, flee to God. He'll have mercy on all those who come to him for salvation as long as we come to him in this life. Now, everybody in hell is asking to be saved. But you see, the books are closed and they're judged according to what was done in the body. So once the body is dead, dead, no resuscitation, then the judgment comes and they're stuck. Well, that's why the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. 
Now, the devil will say to everybody, you've got plenty of time. You can always come to Christ tomorrow. Wait till tomorrow. Lots of people in hell thought that they had plenty of time left. The website for my high school uh, senior class, class of 1968, has pictures of all the classmates who have died in the years following our graduation year. But you know, some of our classmates didn't even live long enough to graduate. Our six A-Squad cheerleaders were swept out into eternity in a fiery plane crash on March 17, 1968, just a couple of months before graduation. So the point I'm making, until you're until you sincerely come to Christ, you'll be in danger of dying in your sins and being forever lost to the fiery judgment that wasn't prepared for you. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, remember that rat immediately swam to me. That was a smart decision. Okay, and in the same way then, every one of us, we need to come to Christ Now, my third point, Jesus could whack us in judgment, but instead has mercy on sinners. My first thought, you know, was to kill that rat, and I had the power to kill him, but instead I saved him. Likewise, Jesus is not in the pool of sin. He's not a sinner, so he's not in there with us. He never sinned. He's God in human form, and he stands outside of that pool looking in at the people who are near drowning, hoping they will all come to him. Now, in the law of Moses, it was commanded that those who were caught in the act of adultery should be stoned. So when Jesus was on earth, the Pharisees uh, brought a, 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 caught a couple committing adultery, but they only brought the woman to Jesus. They let the man go. And uh, they said, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Now, the law actually commanded both the man and the woman to be stoned, but remember, these were total hypocrites. So, Jesus stooped down, didn't say a thing, and he wrote with his finger on the ground, and they stood around him questioning, and finally he stood fully erect and faced them and said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And he looked them down. Now, I think that he probably wrote Uh, many of the sins they'd secretly done in the ground, in the sand with his finger. And then he looked up at them and the Bible says they were convicted of sin. They, They left, starting with the oldest, right down to the judgment, walked away. And now Jesus was holy and sinless, so he could have stoned that woman. He could have thrown the first stone. He was without sin. But instead, he said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Now, friend, that's just beautiful. If you were to take the time to read the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus and see what they went through for the forgiveness of sins in the Old Testament, it was just one slaughtered animal after another, bulls and goats and rams and lambs and ewes and doves and pigeons and blood sprinkled here and thrown against the side of the altar and people would have to come some so far away and offer sacrifices. And Paul in the New Testament said it basically just reminded them of sin because it couldn't take away sin. Now here someone would be condemned under that law, but Jesus came to save us. And so just to say, I don't condemn you, go and leave your life of sin. Now, friend, I don't know who all is going to end up listening to this message, but there will no doubt be people listening to it 
who are in sin, who are in the pool of sin. And I want to tell you, don't be afraid of Jesus. Be afraid of dying in your sins. Come to Jesus, all right? And he won't condemn you. He'll tell you to leave your life of sin, but he'll pull you out of that pool of sin and make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, Paul wrote, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Well, Paul had persecuted Christians, put them to death. And uh, so, you know, even the, the David Berkowitz, son of Sam, the notorious guy that uh, killed people in New York City, walk up to young women and shoot them. He came to Christ in prison. I'm telling you, Jesus came to save sinners. Now, be like that rat who swam over to me. (laughs) Get yourself over to Jesus. All right, number four. When Jesus lifts you out of the pool of sin, you'll no longer be a sinner. Now, this is, we're starting the differences now between the way I saved the rat and the way Jesus saves us, okay? When I lifted the rat out of the pool, he was still a rat, okay? I don't know what he did after I saved him. He probably just went right on being a rat. But when Jesus uh, lifts a person out of the pool of sin, he puts a new nature in that person. And Paul wrote, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, Paul quoted what God said to Jeremiah. This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. You see, in the first covenant, God wrote 10 commandments on tablets of stone. But in this new covenant, in the blood of Jesus, we're changed. God literally gives us new hearts. His laws aren't written in stone, but written in our hearts. And we have his seed inside of us. Now, some people who are Christians, ignorantly, I say that kindly, but they they say ignorantly, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Now, that's not humility talking. That's biblical ignorance. Because if you are saved by grace, then you are no longer a sinner by definition. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You have a new nature. Now, you can sin because you have a free will, but that is not what defines you. John wrote this, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. 1 John 3, 9. So, when God takes you out of the pool of sin, he, see, I didn't put a new nature in that rat, but he will put a new nature in you. He'll put his very seed in you. So you won't be a rescued rat. You won't be a sinner saved by grace. You'll become a new creation by God's grace. Now, my fifth point is that Jesus wants you to live with him forever. Now, we're going in again to the differences between the way I saved the rat and the way Jesus saves people. I did not say, oh, Mr. Rat, I want you to come home with me. I never want to part with you. From now on, my home will be your home. Nope, (laughs) you know, that didn't happen. But you know what Jesus prayed? He said, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. John 17. 
Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John 14. So we're destined to live forever with Jesus in eternal glory. But until then, He's with us down here. He's in our hearts. And Jesus said uh, to go into all the world, tell the good news to all creation. And then he said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, we're going to spend eternity in his glory with him. But right now, before we get there, he's with us. And he doesn't want any separation And we should say to him, Lord, I don't want even a second, a millisecond of separation from you. I want to do everything with you, for you, by you, through you. Let's do everything together. Now, my sixth point is Jesus wants you to eat at his table. Here's another thing I didn't do for the rat. I didn't say after I rescued him, now, Mr. Rat, I want you to come home and feast with me. We're going to dine. We're going to have a feast. And I'm going to provide all the food. Well, that didn't happen. But God spoke through Isaiah, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Now remember, drugs and liquor and alcohol and everything people do to try to find some pleasure in this life, really there's no satisfaction deep down in the spirit. The flesh might get gratified a little bit, but the spirit finds no satisfaction in those things. And so how do you buy without money? Well, to buy without money means there's an exchange of unequal value. See, if you buy with money, then, for instance, if you buy a gallon of milk, your $3 is worth the milk, and the milk is worth the money, and you're just exchanging things of equal value. Now, when God says to you, come buy without money and without cost, there has to be an exchange, or he wouldn't use the word buy. But when he says without money, that means that what you exchange will have no value whatsoever. And so God is inviting you to come to him with all your trash, all your foolishness, all your mistakes, all your fears, all your idiosyncrasies, and give them to Jesus, and he will give you the things that human spirits feast on. You see, most people are being eaten by worry, strife, fear, critical judgments of others, unforgiveness, self-pity, bitterness, envy, jealousy. All those things eat away at our souls like internal spiritual parasites. But God wants to give you satisfying food. Now, Jesus said, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. That means he's at the door of your heart. He wants to come in. He said, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person or feast with that person and they with me. In another place, Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So when we're united with Christ, we share his spiritual food. Now Moses wrote, man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The most delightful thing in life is when God communicates with us. 
And after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos, and one of the things he said was this, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Revelations 2.7. While the tree of life, if you eat from that, you live forever. That's why Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden, so that they couldn't eat from the tree of life after they chose to be disobedient and sinful. But when we come into Christ, see, he's going to give you the best good things to eat. And that's why the Bible says fruit of the Spirit. Uh, They're tasty for our our spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, I've often referred to this as the grace buffet. You know, you can go into a great big buffet well, we may not see them anymore in this coronavirus but uh, stuff, but uh, formerly, at least, a buffet would be so spread and you'd take your plate. If it was a fancy buffet, it would be a buffet. It would be a chilled plate and you'd go through and you'd add to your plate all this good stuff. Now, here's what Peter wrote. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So there's your faith plate. Add some goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Now, in this world, you might be productive, but if it's all burned up at the judgment, see, it won't matter. So when the Bible says you'll be effective, you'll be productive, it'll be in the things that count forever. All right, so uh, we just have to have an appetite for God's virtues, and we trade our trash for his treasure. We feast with him, all right? Now, we're given that faith plate, and we're invited to go through this buffet and eat heartily, so I hope you'll be always hungry for God, and he will give you the finest of spiritual food. Now, number seven, Jesus wants you to wear his clothes. Remember, I rescued the rat from drowning, but I didn't start letting him wear my clothes. But Jesus invites us to wear his wardrobe. What if I'd said, Mr. Rat, come home, you know, anything in my closet, you're welcome to wear. My socks, my underwear, my my shirt, my, my jeans, my shoes. Well, that didn't happen. But Isaiah wrote, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness, Isaiah 61.10. And Peter wrote this, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now, that's a, that's a robe in Jesus' closet. To close your, clothe yourself with humility means you're wearing his clothes. Paul wrote, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, surely, these are garments in the wardrobe of Jesus himself. And Paul urges us again, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Romans 13, 14. Well, in the spirit, 
virtues or vices look like clothing. I'll say it again, in the spirit, if you could see in the spirit. Your virtues look like clothing or your vices look like clothing. For instance, Psalms 109, the psalmist writes, He wore cursing as his garment. It entered into his body like water, into his bones like oil. May it be like a cloak wrapped about him, like a belt tied forever around him. Well, now, if we feel like cursing at someone, we should remember that we'd be putting on the wrong garment. So especially at such times, we should be conscious and make the conscious, the choice to put on humility, to clothe ourselves with some garment that Jesus would wear, such as gentleness, patience, and self-control. Now, we can't manufacture those by self-help and psychology, Otherwise, we get phony fruits like plastic fruit. But when we want the clothing of Jesus, he provides it and helps us put it on. My eighth point, Jesus made provision for your adoption as a child of God. Now, what if I had said, oh, Mr. Rat, I love you so much. I mean, I really, really love you. I love you so much. I want to formally adopt you as my very own child. Well, that didn't happen. But we aren't just rescued from sin and future eternal judgment. We're rescued to the family of God and eternal glory. And John wrote this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. 1 John 3, verse 1. What a beautiful verse. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Here we were like rescued rats, but we're not just rescued sinners. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Then we get adopted and we're children of God. Paul wrote, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. We are children of God in our spirits right now, but at the resurrection, even our bodies will be born of God. You see, if you're born again, your body's no different, but your, your spirit is recreated. You're born again. You're born of God. And uh, so then we're already God's children, but at the resurrection, Paul said, we who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Well, then even your body will be born of God, born again. So, we're going to be fully adopted. Now, to the Ephesians, Paul wrote, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That means he covers you with the blood of Jesus. He looks down at you through that like a rainbow over your head, like an umbrella over your head. So you look perfect because he's making you perfect. And then Paul continued, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. Ephesians chapter 1. All right, so God has... I want to just stop for a minute. In this uh, tract, we have these, this artwork, and we have a picture of a rat looking at 
uh, adoption papers, and then uh, legal heir papers, and power of attorney papers, and the rat is saying, wow. <laughs> and then my ninth point is God has made you his heir. If you come to Christ, you're his heir, a co-heir with Christ. Now, what if I had said, oh, Mr. Rat, you know, I hope you're getting the idea of how much I love you. But just to make it even more clear, I want you to know I've made you my legal heir, and you're going to inherit everything I have. Now, of course, I didn't make the rat my legal heir, but look at how great a salvation we have in Christ. Paul wrote, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. He also wrote, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir, Galatians 4, 7. God's love is so great that he wants to give us, listen, he wants to give us everything he is in his character and then give us everything he has, the entire kingdom. Now, Jesus said, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. There's nothing that Jesus will not share with you as co-heir of the father. And he even said this to the one who is victorious. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, such a promise should not have a self-exalting effect on us. Rather, such an amazing promise should just humble us. And with the psalmist, the psalmist said this, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Psalms 8, 4. It's amazing that he should care for us, but to let us be his heirs, to let us sit with him on his throne. Now, for years I've read that. I'm 70. I've been reading the Bible since I was 12. And I used to think that sitting with him on his throne would be about a 30-second event, like a child at a shopping mall getting a turn to sit on the lap of Santa Claus and have their picture taken. And then Santa says, okay, Johnny, you can get down now. It's Mary's turn. But what God has in mind is a perpetual exaltation with Christ so that there's no getting down. There's no short turn. It's a forever thing. So Jesus said, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. See, he's got, he doesn't just sit there for 30 seconds and get down. No, he's eternally exalted with the father. So he's saying, just like that. If you'll keep your faith in me, that's what victorious means. You keep your faith. You don't turn away from Christ. You don't turn into rebellion or idolatry. You serve Jesus. You believe in him. You receive him. Well, then when you cross that finish line, you'll be forever exalted with Jesus and be a co-heir. Now, remember, Paul reminded us that to share in his glory, uh, we... We'll have to share in his sufferings now. And all over the world, people suffer from being followers for Christ. Don't let any persecution turn you back from your inheritance. Now, you may have heard the story of the 40 martyrs, and you can Google that and bring up all kinds of different websites. I actually found one where it shows the church, uh, Eastern Orthodox Church, built at the site 
Anyway, when uh, the pagan Licinius ruled the eastern half of the Roman Empire, that was year 307 to 323, it was his evil intent to eliminate Christianity from the lands under his control. And one of his supporters was a cruel man named Agrigola who commanded the forces in the Armenian town of Sebasti in what is now eastern Turkey. Now, among this guy's soldiers were 40 devout Christians, and they arrested the 40 and imprisoned and, th- and then threatened them to, that they were going to be stripped of their military rank and disgraced unless they renounced Christ. And that night, God literally spoke to them, Good is the beginning of your resolve, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus said those words in Matthew 10, 22. And so they would flatter them and tell them how good they were on one hand, and they'd threaten them with all kinds of threats. And this went on for a week, but they didn't break. So finally they were stripped and made to stand. Some stories said they stand on the shore of the lake. Some said they were made to stand in the water. The, it, was, it was winter, and a frosty wind was blowing, and the lake was beginning to ice over. And uh, they were promised that if they would renounce Christ and praise the idols, they'd be able to get into a heated bathhouses. They had several heated bathhouses set up. And they said, you can get out and come into this heated bathhouse, and everything will be fine if you'll renounce Jesus. So in that first hour... One man left the 40, and when he came into that heated bathhouse, he immediately was overcome by the heat, and he went into convulsions and died. Now, the report I read uh, says, By the third hour, a warm light bathed the holy martyrs and melted the ice. And the guard who was still awake witnessed this. He looked up and saw that the light came from 39 radiant crowns descending onto the heads of the saints. He aroused the sleeping guards and throwing off his clothes, ran into the lake shouting for all to hear, I am a Christian too. And his name was Aglaeus. And he brought the number of the martyrs once again to 40. Now the next morning, the evil judges were enraged to find that the captives were still alive and that one of the guards had joined them. So since they weren't dying in the freezing conditions, they were supernaturally kept alive, they brought them back into prison and subject them to torture. They broke their legs, crushed them with sledgehammers, and to their last breath, the martyrs sang out, our help is in the name of the Lord. Well, that is not a fable. I think over the years, different aspects of the story change, Uh, but you can read the stories for yourself. It, It actually happened. There really were 40 martyrs. My point is, if you're going to be the heir of God, you're going to get the whole kingdom, then uh, we don't, we're not going to give up on all that just because we suffer some with Christ. Some people suffer a lot more than others. But whatever happens before it's all over, keep in mind, you're a child of God. You're an heir of God. Don't ever, don't ever turn back. Now, my 10th point, Jesus gives us power of attorney, the right to use his name. Now, when someone, see, I, di- I didn't say, oh, Mr. Rat, you know, I, I love you and I'm even going to give you power of attorney so you can conduct my business affairs on my behalf while I'm out of town. 
That's what it means, you know, when someone gives you power of attorney is you conduct their business affairs, but you actually have to give an account of your stewardship to a judge. You can't just go sign the person's name and plunder their savings account, go to Las Vegas, have a party. No, you'd have to justify all your expenditures. It has to be for their interests. Now, Jesus gives us the right to use his name, which is a great honor, but it's like the formal power of attorney. We cannot abuse that. We use his name to conduct his business in the earth, and everything must be for his glory, and we will give an account of our stewardship. Now, Jesus said, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages, Mark 16, 17. Mark 9, 39 says, we do miracles in Jesus' name. Jesus said, if anyone gives a cup of cold water, you know, to someone in my name, this means we do good deeds in his name. He said, if you welcome one of these little children in my name, you welcome me. Well, clearly, you know, he's talking about conducting his business affairs in the earth with power of eternity. Now, my 11th point is Jesus gives us keys to the kingdom. What if I had said, Mr. Rat, now, now I want you to understand how much I love you, and I want you to have my car keys. All right, and here's my, here's my house keys. You see, I rescued the rat from drowning, but I didn't give him any keys. But when Jesus said to Peter and to all those who confess him as the Christ, the son of the living God, he said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, Jesus repeated this to, he said that first to Peter, but to all his disciples in Matthew 18, 18, he said, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, years ago, I was ministering in Kent, Ohio, and I met a man who had immigrated from Iran and he had miraculously escaped Iran. He had, uh, Jesus had appeared to him, and he'd converted from the Muslim religion. And uh, then he became a pastor over there, and of course it's illegal to have a Christian service. The Holy Spirit would tell them where to meet, <clears throat> and uh, he, he often used this binding thing, and he told me, he said, we'd, we'd bind the police we'd bind these people that were coming to arrest us. And he said it worked every time. And they were even able to have a secret Christian uh, wedding, which is supposed to be completely impossible in Iran. Well, eventually then, you know, he got out of Iran. But I think that we don't understand much about binding and loosing. And I've seen people rush into this, you know, willy-nilly. <clears throat> I don't believe most people know what they're doing. I have bound demons from speaking. <clears throat> Say, I bind you in Jesus' name. So I've done that and then cast them out. But I think there's a lot more in this. And I think we should be praying. Says, Lord, if you give us the keys to the kingdom of heaven, teach us how to use this at the direction of your Holy Spirit. Now, my 12th point, Jesus gives us a hotline to heaven among all these many ways of showing us how much he loves us. What if I had said, Mr. Rat, now I'm giving you a cell phone and my number is the first one on your contact list and it's my own private number. Any time of the day or night, you can call me. And if you need anything, just call me and I'll do it for you. 
Now, of course, I didn't do that for the rat. But I want you to look at all these amazing promises from Jesus. The Lord Jesus has given us so much. And just to make sure it's all inclusive, as if it wasn't enough, you know, to give us his clothes, to feast at his table, to give us his house, to give us the whole kingdom, to make us joint heirs, to adopt us, to give us power of attorney. Now he says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. John 14, 13 through 15. He also said, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and that'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. John 15, 6 through 8. Now, don't turn back. Don't turn away from God. Amen? Those kind of branches are withered and thrown into the fire. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. John 15, 16. He said this to his disciples at the Last Supper just before his crucifixion, but you see he's emphasizing it over and over. John 14, John 15. Now in John 16. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you'll no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. John 16, 22 through 24. Now I'm coming to the conclusion of this message. I hope that what I did and didn't do for the rat will awaken you to the greatness of your amazing salvation. And Paul wrote this, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans chapter 8. We don't know what's coming with the world. It looks like very difficult times are coming to me with the coronavirus, with the great expenditures of debt, with the world economy in a tailspin. But nothing can separate us from this amazing love. Go back over and say, wow, this, this is amazing. This is amazing love. God's going to be with me. He's with me right now to the very end of the age. He's given me a hotline to heaven. Why, I'm his, I'm his very own child. I'm going to inherit all things. Now, if you will dwell on how much God loves you, it'll cast out all the fear of whatever of the future. Now, I want to pray a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed, and I want to pray this for you. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. In other words, it's mind-boggling 
that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Ephesians 3. Now finally, dear friends, please don't ever refer to yourself. If you've accepted Christ, don't ever say that you're a sinner saved by grace. You are not rescued rats. You're new creatures in Christ Jesus. You're children of God. You're co-heirs with Christ. You are born of his spirit. We are saved by grace, yes, but we say we were sinners by nature, but we've been lifted out of the pool of sin. We have new natures. We're children of God. Now, if you're listening and you've never actually asked Christ to come into your heart, please, please, don't wait. That rat was a pretty smart rat to swim directly over to me, knowing that I was really his only hope. I could have killed him, but instead I saved him. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Come to him. He'll lift you out of the pool of sin and give you everything in his amazing love. I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon, 97426.